Israel makes waves at the Special Olympics in Berlin. Don't let anything stop you, that's the message. Special dolls for special kids. Leave it to Israel to make sure that every single child has a doll that represents exactly who they are. And a couple that is making the world a better place, one shutter click, one story, and one dollar at a time. Sarah Agnose from CJ Studios are here for a great conversation that we recorded at Shabbos. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and lovely host, Amala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel. This is episode 121 of the Weekly Squeeze. So glad you are here. I had a beautiful morning walking our new puppy with her pronk collar that I shared online. If you don't know what a pronk collar is, well, you are not a dog owner. But I just want to tell you about an email that I got from some insane person who watched my Instagram story and thought it was important to let me know what a loving person she or he is. This is what the message actually read. Check this out. This person is clearly very hungry or angry or hangry, whatever it is. Listen to this. Put a choke collar on yourself and see how it feels. You mm sick being who is not even human. The hate in you is vile. The dog deserves much better. You do not deserve any dog. Hater of people and abuser of dogs. Although your podcast is borderline abusive too. Poor dog. I hope she finds a better life very soon. The life she deserves with humans who care. You sound very loving. (laughs) The thing with the prong collar is that it looks scary because it has these prongs that kind of put pressure all around the dog's neck when you pull the chain. But after having a husky puppy for about two months now, I think it's safe to say I know what the best thing for my cutie pup is. And that is a collar that won't pull on her neck stop her breathing, and potentially collapse her trachea when she, as a husky who was bred to pull things, decides that they want to lunge at another animal or go into traffic or potentially bite a poisonous snake. Who knows? So instead of using a flat leash collar, those typical round ones that stop the dog's breathing when you yank the chain, use a prong collar. With a little jolt, the dog feels exactly what they feel when the mother grabs on their neck, something that does not hurt them, especially not a dog that has fur as thick as mine. So to that person who wrote me that lovely email, A, stop following me on Instagram. B, maybe get yourself a dog because you clearly need a little love in your life. And C, try not to be so jealous of my beautiful dog and her beautiful life here. In the beautiful land of Israel, I could assure you that Bailey, also known as Bailey Eyelash or Baylush for short, is having the time of her life and is very well cared for and loved. Yeah, lose my email. Okay, let's move on to some positive things. While we should never know from the challenge, I'm going to tell you today about an organization here in Israel called Adi, Ayin Dalid Yud Adi, whose mission is to care for the most precious members of our society, those who cannot care for themselves. There's actually a girl in our neighborhood that is severely handicapped. She has a breathing tube, an electronic wheelchair, and I see her going up and down the block on a regular basis. She busts in with her Filipino caregiver. And as I'm going through, you know, preparing for the show, I see a picture of her. And I'm like, I know that girl. Sure enough, she is the recipient of a new doll. Adi has a new item in their toolbox, dolls with breathing and feeding tubes, just like children with special needs. Now, making such dolls that have wheelchairs, limb differences, birthmarks, scars, various types of medical equipment, it's not a cheap undertaking. And that's why it's pretty awesome that Tommy Gutman, a special educator at Adi Jerusalem, started this Toy Like Me initiative where she takes regular store-bought soft dolls and she transforms them into dolls that accurately represent their owners. 
She noticed that the dolls in the Adi Jerusalem classrooms didn't fully represent the kids and the residents who played with them, and she wanted to change it. When I was a kid, I had a Cabbage Batch doll, and I loved it because I looked like a Cabbage Batch doll. <laughs> I had a nice round face, freckles, frizzy hair, so that doll was perfectly me. I can only imagine a kid, unfortunately, that has severe disabilities or a complex medical condition, how upsetting it must be to not find the doll that mirrors their own lives. But now they can, because at Adi, they believe in providing the best for all the kids, even if they have to create it themselves. And that's exactly what this woman, Adi, did. She is the director of the Sensory Library Program, where she enhances books with sensory elements so that they can be engaging to children with cognitive disabilities. So now she's taking dolls to the next level, adding gastronomy feeding tubes, tracheotomy breathing tubes, and other medical equipment to make the dolls more realistic. The dolls, as you can imagine, were a huge hit amongst the kids. They were received with joy by kids who understand from their own experience that they need to handle these dolls delicately and be careful not to disconnect the tubing. Wow, if that's not special, I mean, that's just amazing. They go above and beyond, Adi, to provide individualized growth plans and specialized services for all the residents and special education students. All I could say is people who take on initiatives like Toy Like Me, trying to make real impacts, ensuring that children with special needs are always represented and included in the world of play. Love that story. Only Hashem could determine what a person is capable of and what they could achieve in their life. And our job is to help them and believe in them and support them. And that's why it's with great joy that Israel's team of incredible athletes with intellectual disabilities brought the house down at the 2023 Special Olympics in Berlin. Israel took part in eight sports, including athletics, judo, swimming, cycling, tennis, table tennis, soccer, and bowling. That's pretty cool. And guess what? They didn't just participate. They dominated the competition. They got 25 medals. That's pretty awesome. The most medals Israel has ever won in their 30-year history of competing in the Special Olympics game. Kol HaKavod, this team truly knows how to make a mark. The medals they won were amazing. Nine golds, eight silvers, eight bronzes. Every single discipline that they competed in was represented on that podium, including one of the shining stars of the swimming events, Mir Segal, who dove into the pool and emerged victorious with a remarkable gold medal in the 100-meter freestyle. Can you imagine the feeling of standing tall on that podium with Hatikva, Israel's national anthem playing in the background? Now, I'm not a big sports, athletic Olympics person. I actually get exhausted and stressed out just watching. But Mir's enthusiasm is contagious. And he exclaimed, I conquered my fears, reached my goals, brought honor and pride to Israel. And let me tell you, it was an absolute blast. And it was a blast watching you from my couch. <laughs> Amazing. Israel has once again proven that disabilities are not barriers, but stepping stones to success. So I'm glad to celebrate their remarkable accomplishments and cheer for them from my couch. Go Team Israel. Go. Another extremely heartwarming story out of Israel this week. I mean, just the most uplifting thing you're going to hear in a very long time. This took place in Yerushalayim, in the old city, when a meticulously planned and touching marriage proposal captured the hearts of everyone who witnessed it. Alone Paz, a remarkable guy who is fully paralyzed. The guy uses a ventilator to breathe. Well, despite all his challenges, Alone was determined to make an impression, a romantic impression, on his now Kala, 
thanks to the help of United Hot Solo. Now, before we even get to the proposal, this guy is a remarkable person. 39 years old, he was in a terrible car accident that left him on life support. He has been determined to see Israel and to live his life no matter what. A couple of years ago, he wanted to spend the day at the Dead Sea, and United Hot Solo um, brought him over in a wheelchair to the Dead Sea, to the viewpoint so we can see a full panoramic view of the Yam HaMelach. I'm looking at a picture here. He's in a wheelchair. He's clearly severely disabled. From what I understand, he can talk, although with difficulty, uh, but he's living his life. And that's why it was with great joy that the entire Israel heard about the proposal that he pulled off thanks to United Hatzalah's Ambulance of Dreams. Now, when I sang for the Daily Giving concert, we raised enough money to give United Hatzalah a couple of new motorbikes here in Israel, and I know they do terrific work. I did not know about the Ambulance of Dreams, but they were there for Alon Paz again when he had this heartfelt request to plan a special outing that will culminate in a proposal to his beloved in the old city of Yerushalayim. Oh my gosh, it's so emotional. It started early in the morning. Uh, a bunch of volunteers, paramedics, EMTs escorted him to first Mara Samachpela, then Kever Rachel and Beis Lechem. Meanwhile, United Hatzalah's logistic and operations departments were trying to figure out how to transform the square in the old city into the setting of Alon's dream proposal. Obviously, a lot of people were there. There was a red carpet. There was a big sign. Everyone was waiting for that magical moment. The intensive care ambulance arrived. Alon was carefully transferred, still in his bed, to the square where his girlfriend was waiting, completely unaware of this extraordinary surprise that awaited her. There was music. There was confetti. There were people. It was an overwhelmingly joyous moment. Of course, she replied, yes, and the crowd was thrilled offering their congratulations, there was dancing, and Alon spoke. He spoke about his unwavering fight to stay optimistic despite his condition, saying that when a person desires something, when they really want something, they have to fight for it, and that's it. And he is fighting for his love of life and his dream to have a warm, kosher Jewish home rooted in the Torah of Moshe and Yisrael. Absolutely amazing. This is a person who is not letting the limitations that Hashem put on him, the challenges that have been presented to him from stopping him to live his best life. Alon's fiance Yafit, she thanked the organization and everyone involved for making this proposal so beautiful. She said it was just beyond, I can only imagine. And I am glad to be a part of a nation that celebrates each other's simchas in such a joyful way. And I bless Alon and Yafit that they should be able to build a binyan adiyat together and keep spreading love and positivity. What a great story. What a great story. All right, what do you guys think about taking your babies to work? I personally am not a fan. Babies and recording studios don't mix, pardon the pun. But here in Israel, it's a conversation again, because a Haver Knesset, a Knesset member, Sharon Haskell, the National Unity Party, she wasn't allowed to speak in the Knesset while holding her baby girl. She wanted to present a bill, read it to the Knesset, which she was not able to do because of the Knesset's legal advisor who asked her not to speak and not to go up to the podium. She released a statement later saying that it's sad that the Knesset chairman, who has two children at home, chooses to prevent a woman with children from going up to the podium and presenting the bill like any member of the Knesset. I don't know. I, you know she continued, she said, I don't bring my daughter to work to get likes. Or not likes, but because I'm a mother. And I want to combine my motherhood with my career like every mother in the state of Israel. Okay, I don't know about you, but I cannot work with children around. I can't. It's impossible. 
to focus on your job when you're wearing a baby. I, I, I mean, I have four children. It's impossible to have a baby in your hand and not put their needs first, whether they spit up, whether they need a diaper change, whether they're suddenly crying or choking, who knows what. I, 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 I don't think children don't belong in the office. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. Maybe if there was a gun, maybe if there was some sort of arrangement, that's something else. But bringing a baby to work and then saying that women are not wanted, I, I just think that that, that, that babies don't belong in the government. We have enough. <laughs> There's enough babies in the government. That's just, you know, my personal opinion. I can't figure it out because I know there are daycares here in Israel where you could send your babies from six months. So to me, this seems a little sticky. I mean, someone could have held her baby. Like, why does she dafka need to go up and be like, here I am holding holding this baby? Besides the fact that Knesset members make plenty of money. Like, she, she could afford a full-time nanny. Sometimes it goes late. Sometimes it's 24-7. But that's just the way it goes, you know. Uh, I'm sure people are going to say that's a bad take. And if this was a male Knesset member, there'd be all this ooing and eyeing. What a father. And that we need to normalize women and they should be proud of their parenthood. But, you know, I don't think this is a male or female thing. I don't think that a baby needs to be on the platform during that three-minute window when someone could be holding the child. It's just distracting. It makes Israel look pathetic and unprofessional. This is not a backyard community meeting, and it's inappropriate. What do you think? I, I mean, personally, I think it's hard to argue and yell and throw things at a person who's actually holding an infant. So maybe she's just trying to protect herself from a chair being flung at her for her opinions. You never know. But ultimately, I'm not a fan of babies in the workplace, especially not in the Knesset, where there's already enough screaming and crying going on. You know what time it is. It is time to take your Queen Tulsi Daily Stress Relief that you hopefully ordered by now from carolinebasshealth.com, a remarkable all-natural supplement that was designed for any woman that has mood swings, trouble falling asleep, or overwhelming stress that just takes over your life. If any of those things resonate with you, well, Queen Tulsi is here to help you. You will experience a profound sense of inner calm. You will have a better ability to handle stress, elevate your mood, and your emotional well-being. Plus, there's the benefits from the antioxidant properties that will leave you with clear and radiant skin and safeguard you against free radical damage and the effects of aging. Hello, an herb that makes you look younger. Queen Tulsi's it. And it's more than just a supplement. It's a solution that will address daily stress, balance your PMS, perimenopause symptoms, and it'll support overall vitality, including what we all want, healthy skin. It has five natural herbs carefully selected to work harmoniously together and promote a state of calm. Queen Tulsi is the only certified OU kosher blend available, ensuring the highest standards of purity. You won't find anything artificial in this formula, just the pure power of nature. You deserve to feel like a queen each and every day, and Queen Tulsi can make that a reality. So take control of your well-being, experience the transformative benefits of the safe, natural, and effective stress relief solution. Link is in my show notes, carolinebasshealth.com. Use Queen Hanala to get 15% off. All right, let's go to Berlin, where history and hope intertwine in an extraordinary event. 80 years since the Holocaust, and Israel's chief rabbi, German officials, and foreign dignitaries gathered to witness the grand opening of the Piers Jewish Campus, a 44,090,000 square foot center. Now, if that's not a testament to the resurgence of Jewish life in Germany... I don't know what is. Just picture this. A huge, sprawling, educational, 
Recreational and Religious Center, the largest of its kind built in Germany since World War II, and now one of the largest Jewish centers worldwide. That's pretty awesome. This uh, was made possible by Rabbi Yehuda and Leah Tachtel, who've been in Berlin since 1996 doing amazing things. They had dignitaries from Germany's political and business spheres. The mayor was there, the mayor of Berlin, Kai Wegner, and he said, this is a special day for Berlin, a special day for Germany. He emphasized the city's commitment to supporting and safeguarding Jewish life. Dr. Joseph Schuster, the president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany, he highlighted how the Chabad Lubavitch campus is not just a place of isolation or hiding, but rather a beacon of hope for the future of Jewish life and families in Germany. I don't know. I mean, I think it's great. It's a monumental step for Berlin Jewry. That's what Rabbi Tachtel said. And, you know, with the Rebbe's blessing, obviously the Rebbe wanted Shluchim to be all around the world. The Rebbe himself lived and studied in Berlin from 1928 to 1932. So this is a beautiful testament to his legacy. Um, but, you know, let's go back a minute. Before the Holocaust, Berlin was the largest Jewish community in Germany with 160,000 Jews. That's a lot of Jews. When World War II ended, there were 7,000 Jews left. Now, 80 years later, there are about 30 to 50,000 Jews, many of whom actually came from Russia. They came from the Soviet Union when it collapsed in 1990. There's also a lot of Israelis there, American Jews, refugees from Ukraine. There's a lot of business opportunities, a great atmosphere, and apparently an affordable cost of living. So if you are struggling. <laughs> Move to Berlin. This sounds pretty awesome. I think it's even safe to say that there's less anti-Semitism in Berlin than there is in New York City. Every year, thousands of people come to watch a massive Hanukkah menorah being lit at the Brandenburg Gate. And, you know, like Rabbi Tachtel says, there are millions of Germans who don't even know what Jews are. So we're, we have our work cut out for us. How could there be Germans who don't know what, what Jews are? That's, that's wild. So the campus has a gorgeous, stunning glass and shimmering blue exterior. There's a daycare center, elementary school, high school, multiple fitness centers, co-working space, a movie theater, and a music recording studio. Hello, I am packing. I'm on my way to Berlin. It's going to be very hard to leave Israel. Maybe I'll give this another thought. <laughs> um, the highlight is a breathtaking 6,000 square foot Banquet Hall, the largest in Berlin, bathed in sunlight, connected to a kosher kitchen where you can take cooking courses focused on kosher cuisine. This sounds like Ghanaian. This sounds like the most ideal place in the world. And there's more. There's also a number of playgrounds, grassy areas, sports field, a park, and a massive mezuzah, the largest in the world, even bigger than the famous mezuzah at Ben Gurion Airport, which many of you have seen and kissed enthusiastically when you landed here in Israel. This is absolutely beautiful. Kolakavotu Chabad for always standing tall as a testament to the power of unity, understanding, and the unwavering spirit of a people determined to forge a brighter future. From Berlin to an Alicia Beth Moore concert, aka Pink, where a member of the audience, a fan, threw a bag of their mother's ashes on stage. The singer took it in stride, although she was understandably confused. Is this your mom, she says? I, I don't know how I feel about this. Well, maybe your mother bought a ticket, and it was her lifelong dream to see you in concert. And her daughter was like, I'm not letting that $100 ticket go to waste. I'm going to bring my mother to the concert, and I'm going to make sure that she meets Pink. <laughs> and that's basically what happened. She threw her mother's ashes in a bag on stage so that her mother could be at the show. Now, if that's not respecting your parents in 2023, 
where there are no more rules and people are insane. I don't know what is. Actually, I do know what is. Faking your death to find out who cares about you. That is what one father did as shared on TikTok. Yes, a Belgian TikToker faked his own death to find out who cared about him and see who turned up at his funeral. Okay, wh- one second. Whoa, whoa, one second. If my husband faked his death to see who cared about him, I would kill him. <laughs> I would kill him when I found out that he was still alive. No, but apparently the wife and the kids were actually in on this. The children went on social media and wrote, rest in peace, daddy. We'll never stop thinking about you. And basically faked that he had died. And they staged a funeral where many friends and family members came dressed in black. And then, ta-da, he shows up in a helicopter and says, I'm actually alive. And there was a camera crew and all. Uh, to me, this is just cruel. Apparently, this guy felt that he was underappreciated by his extended family and that he never gets invited to anything. Well, probably because you're one of those weird guys that would fake their death for attention. He said that we all grew apart. I felt unappreciated and I wanted to teach them a life lesson and I wanted to become famous on TikTok. Well, I hope that was worth it for you because eventually you will die and nobody's going to come to your funeral then because they already went to your funeral and mourned for you and paid for flowers and, and the cleaners to wash their black suit. You can't, that, that, that doesn't happen twice. You get one opportunity to die and that's it. And you used it to become TikTok famous. So congratulations. You are famous for being an idiot. <laughs> Speaking of famous people, Gal Gadot will receive a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame, becoming the first Israeli actor to receive the honor. This is unbelievable. I'm so, so grateful and thankful and humbled, Gadot said, after Hollywood's Chamber of Commerce announced next year's honorees on Monday. Very cool. I mean, I'm not a huge Gal Gadot fan. I think she is not vocal enough for Israel, and I think she's an opportunist. I I think her goal is to make a lot of money and not offend any of her fans. Unlike Bella Hadid and other um, you know, Palestinian supporting superstars who use their platforms left and right to smear Israel. So, you know, I'm happy for her. It's great. But I mean, what are we celebrating? An actress, a beautiful actress. And that's pretty much it. By the way, she's not the first Israeli to have a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Natalie Portman has one. And she was born in Israel, making her the first Israeli to get a star. Not that it matters. Uh, I mean, whatever, you know, we're, we're living in a time where the president of the United States is basically supporting BDS, which is just beyond. It's just beyond. It, it, how did we even get here? I mean, Biden's administration is actually obsessed, obsessed with making things more difficult and disrespecting Israel. Remember that Batal Smutrich and Ben Gvir, who are Israel's finance ministers and national security ministers, they weren't invited to the U.S. Embassy's 4th of July party, okay? They weren't invited. If you want to uphold democratic principles, you need to accept the ministers that were elected by the people. We voted for these people, and as an American Israeli, I resent the fact that you decided that you don't like them. They're too fanatic for you. Well, too bad. This is the way we roll in this country. This is how we keep people safe. We're hardliners. That's it. We're hardliners. At least we have a line, okay? You guys don't even have a line or a president for that matter, or a normal U.S. ambassador who, by the way, condemned Israel for the uptick in violence in the West Bank when Mitnachalim set fire to a school in the village of Urif following the terrorist attack that I just mentioned where four Israelis were killed. Four Mitnachalim were killed, one a child. So yeah, they set fire, the electricity went out, everybody was fine. 
but leave it to America to make it seem like they're the same thing. Like, oh, there's violence on both sides. There's not violence on both sides. There are Jews that have simply had enough. They have had enough of funerals. They've had enough of mourning. They've had enough of terrorism. They've had enough of these Palestinian militant jihadis. They've had enough. And what do you do when you have enough? You react. I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying they, should, they, they shouldn't be held responsible for the damage. But you cannot compare people who are born to murder to frustrated Israelis. It's just not the same. And America just doesn't seem to get it, at least not this administration. All right, let's move on to something positive. I had someone reach out to me and say, hey, can I come on your podcast? And I said, sure, everybody else does. <laughs> uh, and I said, well, okay, well, what's your deal? And she told me, I have an amazing husband who's doing great things and I want to present it to you and share it with the world because I'm so, so proud of him. And I said, you know what? Yalla, come on the show. I'm going to give you the floor, let you guys say your piece and hopefully you'll have something worthwhile to share. And sure enough, I was not disappointed. So I'm not going to tell you what this is about. Instead, I'm going to let Sarah and Yosef Schidler of CJ Studios share their story. I think you will be super impressed with the positive change that they are making in the world. So without further ado, Sarah and Yosef Schidler. Sarah and Yosef, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze, the Friday interview edition. Wow, yes. It's a little crazy on an Arab Shabbos. My husband said... Uh, Sarah, we're doing this Fanula thing. And I'm like, okay, next week when the kids are in camp. And he said, no, um, we're doing it today. And I'm like, I mean, like, whatever, a few days from now on Friday. I'm like, why Friday? Like, that's a little crazy. Like, he's like, Sarah. Well, for me, Friday is super chill. That's number one. Like, I go into Israel. I try to get everything done early. And, you know, a little chassidish for, for bringing. And this just felt like Hashkacha Brothers. Your husband actually sent me a video of the Rebbe's Fabringen and my great grandfather sitting behind the Rebbe. Really? Oh, wow. So I said, this is wow, Bashar. We're going to have to have them on. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. His, his motto in life, if not now, when, if you're not, if you're not going to do something like you get an idea and you, you get something, either you're going to. So, exactly. <laughs> there, there, there's so many things in life that I've realized that if you don't tackle it, it's just not happening. You got to put, put your foot down and, and, and start, start pedal to the metal or forget about it. It's sitting back for years and years and years and you're not going to do it. Yeah, I think that that's how our relationship works in general. <laughs> I'm I'm like, OK, we'll uh, do that in five years. And he's like, no, 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 we're actually doing that yesterday. <laughs> well, I am not a marriage therapist. You guys seem perfectly happy. <laughs> you seem perfectly happy together. But I know that you have a story, Yosef. You started your life living a certain life. And now, obviously, you've seen the light. You've embraced Tyra and Yiddishkeit. You've become a Lubavitcher. Welcome to the tribe. <laughs> welcome to the tribe. Exactly. <laughs> welcome to the tribe. And um, I want to hear about that. So can you fill us in how you became who you are today in you know, a couple minutes or less? Yeah. So uh, my, my family was very traditional. We were the family that I, I clearly remember. We for for the better part of my childhood, they, they, we had we went to a conservative synagogue, and you know there was like some element of like kosher in the home. There was like the milchiks, the fleishiks, and the trafiks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> trafiks. I like that. There, there was no problem going to the the Chinese restaurant or the you know like you know. But at home we did mix milk and meat. So there was like, or we had a motorhome going up, and uh, we 
travel wherever we're going for the weekend. We, I grew up in Colorado and we'd drive to Nebraska or Las Vegas or whatever. And we'd, you know, my parents would sit in the back and we'd sit on the, the, the seating area and have a Shabbos meal. And we'd make Kiddush going down the, the highway. Like that, that was, you know, that, that paradox. That, wasn't that confusing though? Or you guys just didn't know better? It, 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 it's not even you don't even know better. It's like you, you don't recognize, like, why is it wrong? Like, what, what, what's the problem? Like, it, it just doesn't Like, we're such good play. Jews. Look at us eating challah on Friday while the TV's on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think that for a huge part of it, it's just purely a lack of education. For, for a better part of a, a lot of Jewry out there, it's just like they, they weren't taught better to understand better. And it's not that they want to be defiant to it or they, they want to be a po- They just they don't know right, better. Like a Tinok Shanishba, a baby that simply just doesn't have the information to make the decisions. That's exactly what it is. So to, to run you through quickly, uh, I, I was the odd one out, and that was to my benefit as a kid. It, it, it was it was a godsend because I was you know I terrible ADD. I was socially awkward, and the first school I you know uh, I went to was the, the, in Denver. They had like this reform. It was kind of like I, I hate labels. You know what I love? I, I love the, uh, the today the uh, identifications. I identify as connected. I identify. <laughs> it works as, for you. The pronouns. <laughs> I, I, yes, that, that I, I love using the pronouns for my benefit. I identify as connected. I hate the word reform, religious. It's it's completely. It's an ugly, dirty. It's a, word. And also, it, it clearly expresses that if you're connected, then you're not unconnected. Correct. So. You know, we went to uh, I went to a school that was very unconnected, disconnected. My 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 songwriter brain is saying it's disconnected, not unconnected. But okay, either or. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So very disconnected, and I, I was I was completely the odd one out. Second grade, my parents took a trip to Israel. I came back. I don't remember how in the world it happened, but I came back wearing sitzis. Uh, everyone I think had a yarmulke in the school, but sitzis was already like you know. And at that point in time, my parents started going to conservative synagogue. And uh, there was a little bit, there's like, there's three, three Jewish schools in Denver. There's like the bottom, middle, and top. Middle is kind of like Datilami, conservative rabbi, and his son uh, sent his sons to that school. Okay, cool. You know, we, we were becoming friends. Let's go there. I'm there in third grade. And third grade teacher is the daughter of the first Chabad Shliach to Colorado. She, she she really just took me under her wing and she she took a liking to teach me what, what whatever she could and really invested a lot of effort into me and I thrived there third grade and most of fourth grade fourth fourth grade also it just turned into a bad year teachers whatever my parents like we're pulling you out you're going to public school oh boy so you're going to public, public school, school that's a detour I went, I, uh, yep I went public school fourth and fifth grade um during that period of time, First off, this teacher, the third grade teacher, who, by the way, I'm still connected with. And so she, you know, called my parents and then she wanted to see me and she, like, you know, gave me all this. Music, like, are you still wearing the sitsis? Are you still? And I was like, ah, I don't know. It's public school. And she really pushed me into, like, no, you got to wear the sitsis. She wanted a little wear- bit of uh, responsibility, some achrayas, accountability. Exactly. And here I was, this this kid in fourth, fifth grade in public school. Fourth or fifth grade was the year that Colum- if you remember Columbine High School. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Colorado. Those were the, that, that was like the wow. years that, that it all happened. So, That's intense. Uh, I, I remember specifically, I, I started wearing sitsis and yarmulke then, and some girl in fifth grade started like making threats like, oh, you dirty Jews, and it was like a week after Columbine. <laughs> she was like thrown out of school to the high heavens. It was like, uh, you know, one at of least, those. At least know, for that. Happens. At least for that. But let's fast forward because your wife is sitting next to you and I, I just I, I'm reading the expressions on her face and I know she's just 
bursting with things to add. So explain to me how your ADD spirited husband ended up making a full commitment to Yiddishkeit and bring his whole family. And what is what are your in-laws like today? Um, okay, so basically he really just decided on his own that like he wants more. So he just took that leap. He lived five miles from the closest religious synagogue. And he just decided to start walking. You, you have to add in that I ended up uh, a year later. And, and I had a teacher who was a tutor at that point in time. And he basically uh, got me into the firm school. Again, horrible word. The, uh, the, the In your way, it doesn't yes. make a difference. He ended up buying his own volition. We're talking a fifth grader that's, what, 10, 11 years old? Deciding on his own to start walking. He told his parents that he's eating kosher only. His parents, and, and and the truth is that his parents were decently open to it, but like halfway rolling their eyes, because if we're also going to backtrack, he looks like a full-blown human, but his mom likes to say how he was like really a full-blown special needs kid. Like he really, yeah, he's like on the spectrum. He just like, you know, they thought that this was just one of his phases. His parents love to joke that like kids that are on, you know, have ADD or stuff like that, they get stuck on things. So it's like a phase, you know, he got stuck on the Titanic when he was younger um, and he knew all the Jewish passengers, <laughs> all their names. I love that. So that's exactly what happened. He just kind of got stuck on it. His parents thought it was going to be a phase. And, uh, you know, that's kind of been the theme in, in his life. And, you know, he uh, trapped me into. You should just know that my husband, my husband speaks very highly about you. He was very excited that I have you on the show. He said, they're such professionals. They're such talented photographers. Let's talk about that as a couple. I know we're missing a lot of space in, in your histories, but we I now know that we have a fighter and we have the woman who loves this fighter despite all his mishigas. Um, tell us yes. how you guys got into the phot- photography business. Yeah, she has her own uh, you know, pretty cool story as well. She, she's humble about it all. Uh, we're going to get it. We're going to get it, Sarah. So tell me in a nutshell how you found this guy. I also was not religious um, growing up, but I did always go to a Jewish school of some sort. My parents got divorced, got remarried, and when they got remarried, they're like, oh, by the way, we're becoming religious now at the age of 13. So I was- uh, no more Christmas tree, (laughs) no more dominoes. (laughs) Yeah, no more. No, they were very, very Jewish. We also had an RV, very funny. But yeah, and when I got to high school, I decided that I'm, I'm not staying in Florida anymore. That's where I'm from. And I am going to go to Israel. I found a Nala program in a cute little place called Kfar Chabad. Little did I know that Kfar Chabad was like actually an extremely ultra-Orthodox community. I, w- I was in seminary there. I was I was there for a year in Kfar Chabad Bet. It's crazy. Like, I really just thought it was like a cute little place called Chabad. Like, I didn't think that it was like, anyways, I was in third awakening. When I actually came back from seminary in Crown Heights, we met in the middle of seminary, um, one of our mutual friends was telling me about him since I was in 11th grade. You have to marry him. He's yours. He's yours. And I'm like, why? She's like, I'm like, why? What's your reasoning? He's a ball chuba and he's a photographer. And my whole high school life, I was, you know, the pretend photographer of the, of the what group. else? So do you, what else kind of do you need besides religion and a passion for one of the arts? Exactly. That's it. Like, perfect, perfect. perfect combination. <laughs> but by the way, by the way, people who who like want to be shatanim. Sometimes crazy ideas. Forget work. about crazy ideas. Yeah. My husband and I share exactly the same passion. We both love Yiddishkeit and we both love music. And that's like 
our whole life. What could be better? And then, of course, we have a few kids running around, but whatever. Anyway, back to <laughs> back to your story. Exactly. But yeah, so that's how, you know, we kind of, and then um, when we got married, he was being a photographer in Crown Heights. He was actually doing video at the time. And one step led to another. I mean, I didn't really have like a direction in like professionalism. I was literally in seminary when we got married. Um, I was the first girl in seminary, Olive, to get married. And we kind of just took the business and we blossomed with it. And, you know, my husband's going to be very uh, modest, but thank God, like we're one of the top Jewish photographers in this area. Um, I run the business end and he does the photography end, even though currently he keeps saying that he's about to retire. <laughs> he has, my husband's he has been saying that for 10 years asses. now. <laughs> I'm over this. I'm about to retire. Uh, okay, but uh, yes, and your reputation precedes you, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing. But that's not why you guys are here today, to plug your photography. That is not why No, we are you here. are here. You reached out to me. Tell me why you reached out to me. I reached out to you because I passionately feel that my husband has this huge amount of light and purpose that he's bringing into this world, and I want I want to share that. My brother was just telling us this morning, he's like, you know, Yossi, and he's not overly religious. He said, you know, Hashkacha Pratis just seems to follow you. Like every day there's another huge story in your life where it's just, it's just crazy. Like why, why does this only happen to you? And I'm like, it doesn't only happen to him. He's just in tune to it. He talks about it 48 hours a day and that's it. You, you see, see it. it. Once you Once see you, the yeah. dots, that's it. Your whole life will just continue on that way and you know he he really started two two different projects it stemmed from the time of covid he was entrenched like everyone was in the news you know what else was there you know you're sitting at home and we didn't live in israel where they were lockdowns as strict as we you guys had but we were just he was just entrenched in this like you know, like what's gonna happen and T Tucker politics. Was, T Tucker Carlson was like my go-to. I had to watch every single episode every single night. Like, and I it was just becoming it. like a compulsive thing. And he just like, at a certain point, he's like, "What is all of this? Like, it's not worth it." I'm just like investing all this energy and frustration and anger. And like, at the end of the day, like, I need to find a godly purpose. I want to add to that that where where we live now in Tom's River, New Jersey, uh, in in the Shul I is a guy named uh, uh, Turks. He writes for the Omni. He was on he's my show. He was on my show a few oh, times actually. There you go. Okay, Jake. So he he's the Jake. So so, so he's the, the only from reporter to sit in the White House with Donald Trump and Biden and whatever. And you know we're we're, we're both uh, two guys who will be the guys sitting in Shul at the end of uh, davening. And uh, so we start moving. He he. Badaf will not speak politics on Shabbos, and, and I learned that very quickly. He got me to a great point in life, and, and it really helped me to progress in, in, a, in a phenomenal direction, which was that he said to me, Yosef, I want you to understand, I am paid to make you upset. I'm paid to find every aspect that the other political party doesn't like and give you that view viewpoint. That, that, is my, that is my paycheck. And if I did that, I succeeded. And when you start to realize and you start to process, like, wow, everybody has like, an agenda. I'm, I'm buying. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm feeding into this, and I'm, 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 I'm su sucking myself into this garbage. And uh, you know, every suddenly you want to unsubscribe. You want to 
get get rid of that. And so at uh, at the beginning of COVID and right around this point in time, there were two crazy projects that kind of landed in my lap and uh, both of them basically taken off to be phenomenal, phenomenal, huge projects on the right. own. And I want you to get uh, into it because we're 17 minutes and 41 seconds into this conversation and people are sitting at the edges of their seats saying, what did these guys event? What did he do? What happened was is that we were subscribed to Daily Giving for quite some time, which I know you're very involved in. And, and we still do subscribe. And we're like, wow, this is phenomenal. Like, what a concept. How much do people pay for Starbucks every day? Coffee, forget about Starbucks, basics. And for you to, you know, give that $1 a day. So this bright man decided one day, he's like, why don't we have this for Shluchim? We should do this. And I'm like, we should do what? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he's like, we're just going to build our own site. So with permission from Daily so, Giving. But backtrack a, l- a little bit, by the way, because what, when this idea hit me, it, w- it was uh, Shabbos Ray, uh, two years ago, Shabbos Ray. And, it, you know, the summer for us is the busiest time of the year. Obviously, weddings are, you know, uh, multiple, multiple weddings. And this idea hit me. It was for a, I'm listening to uh, Rabbi Gordon on Chabad.org. Uh, and I'm, I'm listening to Mitzvah Tzedakah. And then he turned into Tanya at that point in time of the year. It's Tzedakah. And this theme, like, and that's what, when, I, when I even joined Daily Giving. I'm like, okay, let me give it give a dollar a day. And, and, and my, the wheels started turning in my head. Like, wouldn't it be cool if they have this for Shulchan? And then I said to myself... Okay, Yosef, you have enough things going on in your life. You don't need to do this. Relax. Give it to someone else. And the whole shop was like, I couldn't sleep on it. I was like, just my, my, my head started turning and turning and turning. There, and it's so perfect in every way. Why not? What do you have to lose? Like it all just, it's, it's all positive. The, the only have to lose is, is <laughs> thousands of hours. And I was like, Yosef, someone else. He doesn't, do someone. Things, he doesn't do things like halfway. Like he told me one time that was like one of his other projects few years back that he wants to write a children's book around the time when the Chaim Walter whole scandal came out. And he's like, we need more children's books. We do not have, we have children getting to the age of reading and English. There is very, very minimal stuff with token. Yes. There's a lot of Jewish. It, is there really, is there really? Cause I feel like I have a number of children's books that are pretty terrific. No, I mean like chapter books, chapter, chapter books. books. You're talking about for so the ages like about- eight to 13. 8 to 13, there's a lot of older. There's a tremendous amount of gorgeous younger. There's not a lot in that thing that with Tohan. I'm not saying just like, you know, some like, you know, a children's novel or whatever. So that's how I'm Amazing Miracles like, for Kids 1 and, and 2 was born. that's how Amazing Miracles came because he, he saw a need, which is exactly what we spoke about in the beginning. If not now, when? Like, I'm not just going to like, if I have an idea, I'm doing it. And he doesn't just halfway do it. He does it like all the way. I want to tell people what what the book is because I looked into it. If if you don't mind, I'll I'll give you my my full. Yeah. So first of all, this was a nonprofit. The goal wasn't to make money, but you made beautiful books about. No, we've invested a lot of money. (laughs) You're like the goal was not to lose our house, Bar Hashem. (laughs) We didn't lose that. (laughs) So you're saying that in general, there a lot of the tzaddikim books are a little old fashioned because we read Kayas to Chachmenu in our house in Hebrew, and those books are from when my husband was a kid. They're basic Hebrew. They're good yes. for our kids, but they're not like they don't have gorgeous graphics and they're, they, they're lacking Correct. a little sparkle and shine. So you put together all these books. Did I read correctly? It cost $45,000 a book? Correct. Oh, okay. Now, I know what goes into writing books, but 
what goes into writing a book about tzaddikim so that you can make sure that the books are accurate and reflect correctly on our G'daylim? So I, I had no clue what I was walking into on, on numbers. Uh, I, I literally thought the same as you. I, I'm thinking to myself that how much can it be to make a, make a book? You know, kids' books, you know, you, you see all these kids' books and they're like, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a simple investment. You know, it shouldn't be so complicated. And long story, I guess we'll leave it for another time. But basically, when I got into this and I started hiring writers and working with writers on this whole project, initially I, I didn't think of how complex this would be. Essentially, my goal and idea was: look, as a Lubavitcher, I know there are so many stories about the Rebbe, and we know there are so many stories about the Baal Shem Tov. The best Baal Shem Tov book that, that's out there, I think is uh, 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 a it goes back 50, 60 years ago. It was translated. The words in there are complex. You know, there's no illustrations. I want to read this to my kids, and I'm like, you know, struggling to have to explain every third word. Even the right? storyteller is a little dated when I read it to my kids. I add words. I, I you by know, the way, it up. By, by, by the way, open the storyteller. Do you know that half the stories in there are not true? No, I so do not know that. Thing. But that no, makes perfect that. sense. That makes perfect sense because there are stories in there that are questionable. Yes. <laughs> They're great. I, I, I literally, I was just re-reviewing re- re- that and I'm like, really? So, And the stories in your book are 100% accurate every so single word. The truth detail. is, okay, you can't ever know 1,000 billion percent because right? we didn't live in the times of the Baal Shem Tov and whatever. But I think that what she was trying to ask yeah. was that he goes through an extremely rigorous questioning and sourcing of books and stories. He doesn't take stories that are more than secondhand. He hired a pretty much full-time researcher that goes into deep Sfarim to locate sources. And then after that, he authenticates it with people in those specific communities. So, when we design this book, we're so that's not, a lot of time. Yeah, that's a, a lot of time. Tremendous amount of time because he really wants it to be authentic. Also, the graphics, you know, we sourced quality, quality. We went through a lot of processes speaking to also Mashpian. And we wanted this book to not be targeted to Chabad. So, yes, there probably is a lot more Lubavitch related stories in the book, but these go across the board from the Babasali till Satmar. Um, we that. really, really wanted it to be all inclusive. Can you send me some graphics so oh, I can sure. put them in the yeah, Weekly Squeeze sure. WhatsApp group yeah. for people to see? And he also goes through the with the graphic designer weekly. And these stories actually appear in the base Mashiach in a smaller portion of it before they go into the book. So not only is he running the book, but he's also running the weekly articles in the base Mashiach in the English version. I want to note what I was while she was talking. There was a story that I, I've been chasing. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of the story, but what I, there, there's two elements of the stories that I, I run after. I mean, maybe even three. But the idea of Sadiqim, let's say, post their histaltus, where you have people going to a caver, the caver, uh, you know, the oil of the Rebbe or, or the Ribnitz or the Babasali dreams of, of Tzadikim. So, like, first, first of all, no one has tackled, re- really has tackled this. I, I know that some of the Shem, they're actually now going to be putting on a book, but be, be, before this, like, literally no one tackled to the stories of the oil and the Igros Kodesh or they, they didn't exist. There, there, there's absolutely nothing. And I have to explain every fourth word. And I'm okay. like, 
what in the world? Like, I have I have Hachai with I go to the dentist, which is beautiful. Then you have Tzadikim, like, let's say, in the past hundred years, and then you have, like, stories that go back hundreds and hundreds of years. So I'm ta- I'm tackling a certain story about modern-day story in Israel that somebody that, you know, goes to a caver and... Bottom line, it was written and uh, it was posted in an art school book by a very prominent art school author. I call him up and I say, hey, about the story, I wanted to know if you can give me some more details. And I'm specifically not saying his name because it, it just it bothered me to the high heavens when he said to me, oh, I heard it 20 years ago from my Rebbe. And he heard it from someone else. And I'm like, how do you publish that story? That story probably changed over 13 times. And there's probably like, you have any accuracy. And if you want to share like, uh, I remember like when we put out our first book, uh, a few people came to me like, well, how do you know the source for this? And I'm like, you're right. We need to, whatever stories we're putting out that's not from 300 years ago, and like from 300 years ago, the best you can do is source it, go dig in deep into a safer and, and, and source it as best as you can. At least you have a safer to go on, which even that, you know, you're, you're relying on a certain leap of faith, but, you know, there's there's something what to go on over there. Well, in general, when you read when you read stories of tzaddikim to your children, I want to express this to people listening. It, the, first of all, they have a beautiful quality because they're always about midas. They're always about, you know, a lesson. They're not just a random waste of time about th- three little pigs or three little wolves or I don't know, whatever those fairy tales are, nonsense stories. I never understood, by the way, bedtime stories that the world reads their kids because they're about nothing. They make no sense. They have no no muscle, no nimshal, no lesson, no heart. I don't get it. So when you read your kids stories of tzaddikim before bedtime, it's a very beautiful way to connect with them and instill with them stories that they'll never forget. Like I told my story, my son, the story of Hillel Tzaddik on the roof with the snow, and he it's one of his favorite stories, and he brings up Hillel Tzaddik all the time. So it's a very, very nice thing to have such books and read them to your children. So I'm glad to hear that the stories are, are authenticated because if you're going to read a story a hundred times to a kid, it might as well be accurate. <laughs> might as well be true. true. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop on to another subject, which is, which is in Yosef's major purview right now. First of all, before that, he actually printed two books, put together two of these gorgeous books, in one year, one calendar year, and printed and sold out and reprinted. It's ninety thousand dollars to to print, and then the whole process of getting it done and hoping that everything works out and getting them on the stores and advertising and and watching the numbers. It's it's, it's your whole life. It's your whole life. It is his whole life. He sleeps like three hours a night, and somehow somehow still produces. So, so what are we doing now? We have we have the books. The dollar a day for Shluchim is rolling. If you're Chabad listening and you're not um, enrolled in daily giving and you want to specifically invest or, or you want to do both, by all means, we'll, we'll get you links for that. But what else is there? Maybe you guys should talk at retire. It sounds to me like you're very accomplished. Um, there's more. <laughs> there's more because he's never satisfied. You know, you know when you watch the Rebbe videos, at the end of the gem videos, when the Rebbe is giving out dollars, they put that little portion there. And the Rebbe is like, that somebody says, I've done this, or, you know, I did Mephzayim for these amount of people. And the Rebbe is like, great. So next week you're going to do double that, right? I just said this in my last episode, which I guess you forgot to listen to. But the Rebbe was very demanding and he had high expectations. But what does it have to do with the video you sent me? Because you sent me a video about Eretz Yisrael. Is that connected to this? So part of the dollar daily, we figured that we needed to, by we, I mean him, because I was kicking and screaming the entire way. I have three children. We drive carpool our kids. I, 
not we, carpool our kids about an hour and 15 minutes oh, each way wow. to a Chabad school in New Brunswick. My job is a full-time job. I, I have a full-time assistant. I do not have time for more projects. But now that the projects are up in the air, I could say we, because now I will take credit for kicking and screaming. Um, but his 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 latest and greatest adventure. He's like, I'm going to do it, Dafka. Yes, <laughs> just kicking and screaming. I'm going to Dafka get it done. <laughs> yes, he he will. No matter what, he knows how many Jews are on the Titanic. He he will print three books in one calendar year and have them all be successful. Thank you, Hashem. So, part of Dollar Daily was that he needed a way to advertise it more. Right. So you need to come up with your own source of advertising. So what did he do? He decided to start interviewing the Shluchim and make a weekly column that is printed in shows worldwide. And he started that about almost two so years ago. So that's the Eliminations magazine? That's Eliminations? the Eliminations. I was wondering, I'm looking through it and I'm looking for your husband and all I'm seeing are Shluchim around the world, Shluchim around the world, page after page of what they're doing. And I was like, yes. what is this? And yeah. and how be- how beautiful an idea? Because it's one thing to get an email from a Shliach. It's another thing to sit down and be like, look at what Labavitch is doing up yeah. close and personally. I want to support this. Yeah. So that's exactly what it is, that he started putting together a weekly column. For sure, it's printed in all the shows in Crown Heights. It's distributed as well as worldwide. And then in addition, that goes to the dollar daily list of you know people that want to get it every week. And he took these gorgeous stories. It's like stories of the shluchim's experience. You know, whenever a shliach goes to a girl's high school or or somewhere to speak, they everyone wants to hear their stories because it's like crazy that you just meet strangers and make these incredible connections. And also all the incredible miracles that go into it. And they kind of go hand in hand, all of his, you know, weavings. And he is in the middle it's of... It's like he said it. It's like he said at the beginning of the episode. He wants to live a connected life. Yeah. Yeah, he does. So he's putting the book out to print, basically. Um, he hopes to go to print with this book. He's like, I need it in stores by Hanukkah. And what I'm is the title of the book? <laughs> Rosh Hashanah. I said yes. Rosh Hashanah. Oh, gosh. What's Rana the title has, of the book? Rana has a vibe, too. It's, it's called Illuminations. And it's full of stories from Chabad houses and Shluchim around the world. Yes. And it's going to be, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've read it. My yeah. story. Yeah. Gems, my story. So they have gorgeous amount of pictures, everything that's capturing the ADD mind. And it's it's a tremendous amount of, well, there's only going to be like, what, 20 shluchim in the book? 25. 25. So, because so 25 each, beautiful yeah. stories. Because yes. all the shluchim and, have and, incredible and stories. Lengths of it. So it's also not just the article. Um, we purposely left like a lot of the good juicy stories on the side so that they could be put into the book. And it's going to be lots of pictures and fun facts. And we really want to make it interactive. It's not just, you know, a coffee table book, but it's, you know, you're actually going to read it, not just, you know, looks good on your coffee table. I remember one second I was going to say, I remember that the Rebbe always had Sefer Ashluchim on his desk because he loved being able to see the work. And that was an important part of the uh, the Rebbe's advocacy that we should publicize our mitzvahs and we should be proud of it and we should share it. And it shouldn't be something we do quietly. It's something we should be, we should do loudly and proudly. So this is definitely the Rebbe's vision. The, the only person who's ever really tackled this, uh, Malka Tauger, and she uh, in 2006 made a book called, excuse me, are you Jewish? And 
I'm a, I'm a, I have a fan of it. But the, the problem with it is, number one, it's 20 years ago. 17. It's outdated. And me and Malka spoke many times on it. And uh, she said, look, I've forever wanted to do an updated version and and, and do more stories. She said, it's, it's an impossible task. And so we have Dollar Daily. Why, wait, wait, wait. Why is it an impossible task? <laughs> it's an impossible task because Shluchim are incredibly busy people. They have their own whole families of their own. They overschedule themselves to have like 15 different chavrusas, 20 different funerals, God forbid. They're they're always extremely busy. And to get Yosef on the phone with them for an hour and a half plus interview that he interviews them is a huge chunk of time. So you're basically just chasing also them down. Also time zones. Time zones. I, I'm speaking to, <laughs> Thai, to Chabad in Taiwan at three o'clock in the morning. It really is something that, like, we feel is like our mission, and 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 our kids, you know, they take that on. Our our oldest is just ten. Um, our middle one had a birthday this week, and she she said um, her teacher asked her to say a bracha for the class, and she said, um, "I I hope that your mommies have lots of children, lots of time, and don't have to cook lunches, and I hope I give you a bracha that when your husbands are." Uh, when you get married, your husbands will give lots of miser, print lots of books, and have lots of time for their children. This she's eight years old. Let's wrap up with the Hasidic Shavart. So the video you sent me, the Rebbe says that Hashem will take every Jew by hand to Eretz Yisrael, not wait for them to assemble before leading them out. We will be collected one by one. What, what, how, how the intro to the Illuminations book is going to be portrayed and described. And what, what I believe is the the concept is that it's not a Chabad story. It's not a Rebbe story. It's not a Shliach story. It's a biblical prophecy. And the Rebbe knew this, and the Rebbe was telling us this. Because what the story of Shluchim is, is exactly this possible. The Rebbe quoted the that in the end of the days, Hashem promises that I will bring you home one by one. The fact that a rabbi ends up in Timbuktu 3 in uh, a remote city in a remote place is the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy that Hashem is going to find you. And consistently, week after week, and time after time, when I'm interviewing Shlokham, and when we're talking to Shlokham, and we're writing these stories, I, I go to a non-Chabad shul in Tom's River, it's actually Chassidish, and people come over to me, I bring the papers in every week, even though they're printed in, you know, thousands uh, and, and and put it all over the world but people come to me every week personally and they're like you can't really have these stories again next week like the stories that this guy like, and, 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 you look and, i have and a better story next week <laughs> week after week after week and i get this look on the phone and i start talking to them and they're like you got the wrong person you you really you you really have i don't have any stories to share. They, they all tell me the same thing i you, you, you know like there's so much there's so many better stuff than me and they start talking and they start spewing and start telling stories and it's just like my, I'm, I'm sitting there week after week with my mouth dropped open like how do you say you don't have stories you just told me enough content to fill three books and m- uh, more amazing miracle stories than than i've heard and in, in... you are the shaliach for the shaliach you, you know what's really incredible is there's a bracha that i've seen we've done bracha shem we've we were this week is we're, we're releasing issue number 75 and we've probably done another close to 130 interviews that are you know not yet released and we're, we're constantly doing more but there's this crazy bracha 
that we've seen in the course of doing this that probably more than half of the shluchim the, the week we randomly chose to release them because there's been no particular order like, oh, we're going after this one or that one, that there ends up being some crazy simcha in the family of the shliach the week that we, we released it. And I first thought it was like, okay, it was like one, two, three. But I, I started seeing it 20, 30 times. Wow. And, you know, you talk about Sefer Shluchim. For Mendel Azimov, it was a shliach in, in Paris, France. So he had a story that during the Hey Tevis Tukupa, which was, you know, the Rebbe was dealing with this, the whole Sfarim court case. So Mendel Zimov had a Fabrengen, and during this Fabrengen, they all made a Nachlata, and they, they made a Duch, and they wrote into the Rebbe, you know, all their the good things and positive things that they were doing in, in France. And the Rebbe had just gone to the Mikvah, and he was preparing a car to go to the Ayah. And they hand the Rebbe this Duch from, uh, from the French community, from Mendel Zimov and, and people's Nachlata in France, and the Rebbe looked at uh, uh, at Muscaris and he said, we're not going to the oil today. We don't need to go to the oil today. And at that point in time, the Rebbe went to the oil every single day for the court case. The Rebbe said, this, this is my trip to the oil. When you hand in, when you hand Nachos to the Rebbe, even though I'm sure, you know, as, we, as Hasidim would say, maybe the Rebbe knows about it. There are other, when you hand in the positive news to the Rebbe, when you hand in that that report of, of the good things that, that, uh, that you're doing, it has tremendous brachan and sacha. I just want to end off that the, the whole project of illumination is to support and to highlight the, this beautiful project of Dollar Daily. We, Baruch Hashem, deal with shluchim from all over the world, and we try and diversify and give to shluchim, and we prioritize particularly shluchim who are going through very, very difficult times, very rough times. Regularly, we'll get a request from Shliach that says, I don't, I, you know, my kids are going off to camp. I don't have clothes. Or, you know, my car broke down. I literally don't have two, two pennies to rub together. And, you know, the beauty of it is you don't need, you don't need to know everything that's going on with, with, with that. And sometimes there, there are multiple Shluchim in a Chabad house. You don't know, need to know what Shliach you're giving. You're giving to Chabad. You're connecting. And it's literally $1. Labab, which is a, is a fad now. People want to, you know, be, be involved in Chabad. People like, I, I love Chabad. I go to Chabad on vacation. I go to Chabad over here. Chabad is cool. Exactly. Exactly. Chabad, Chabad is amazing. And, uh, you know, people, people, a lot of people uh, have this misconception that Chabad has some central, you know, headquarters in New York that's sending out checks on a, on a weekly basis and handing the money. And I can tell you that there are so many shluchim and people don't realize that there are so many shluchim who are literally, you know, just solos out there saving lives of, of the guy who had a heart attack. Shluchim out there saving the spiritual life of the guy who's spiritually having a heart attack. The idea is to be able to have a fund that it can lend out and, and give them a hand and give them support. And it's to be part of that, literally $1 a day. Yes, uh, Daily Giving, an amazing cause. And when we spoke to Daily Giving about uh, creating a dollar daily and what dollar daily, uh, they said, go for it, you know, to create that fun. For you had their blessing. Yeah, I know that to be true. Yeah. Well, you have you have my blessing, and the reason you have my blessing is because you respect your wife. <laughs> I could see that, and I am I'm serious. I'm not kidding. And I am. I, you sent me a message, and you said my husband all, all ha- I do is a terrific guy. All I do would not be possible without Sarah. Yes. Sarah, kolakavod for setting this up. I am glad to know you guys and share your story. If it wasn't thank you, thank half you. hour before Shabbos here in Eretz Yisrael. I would grab a cup of mashke, make a l'chaim, and hang out a little longer. But I got to go. And I, I think that with um, a little more siyata deshmaya, we'll get that book out. Amen. And hopefully, Amen. Very soon. Yeah, and hopefully we will see tremendous success and mazel Amen. within it. Amen. 
So there you have it, episode 121 of the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you so much for leaving me all those beautiful reviews on Apple Podcasts. Don't stop! Five-star reviews. I live for them. They help my show get promoted onto Apple Podcasts' main page. So leave me five stars. Let me know what you think of the episodes. Join the Weekly Squeeze WhatsApp group and order your Queen Tulsi herbs right now. Head over to the show notes. I'll see you on Monday.